0: The only way to scale is to build security into the surroundings of developers. I heard far more positive attitudes this year to how auditors are engaging in conversation. Security is this invisible thing. You know, It doesn't have a natural feedback cycle, and it doesn't hurt until it hurts really bad. We need a model as an industry that people can replicate, and I think that has not yet been created. But if there was really one thing we can do is to figure out how do we measure security because you can't optimize what you can't measure. Hi, I'm Guy Pajarni, CEO and co founder of Sneak. And you're listening to The Secure Developer, a podcast about security for developers, covering security tools and practices you can and should adopt into your development workflow. It is a part of the Secure Developer community. Check out thesecuredeveloper.com for great talks and content about developer security and to ask questions and share your knowledge. The Secure Developer is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Secure Developer. I'm uh, Guy Pajarni and today we're we're actually going to do something a little bit different. Where hopefully not to your chagrin, <laughs> I'm going to be the guest uh, over here. Uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to look back at just sort of this year's episodes. We had so many of them, and try to try to just sort of reshare some of the themes and and learnings that we've had from it. So to help us do that, uh, I actually have with me Simon Maple from Snake here to to actually host the show and
1: be the interviewer here. Thanks, Simon, for coming on. My pleasure. It is a true pleasure to be on The Secure Developer, and I'm looking forward to asking you some some searching questions about (laughs) uh, The Secure Developer in 2019. So yeah, just uh, let's go through a couple of stats of uh, of what's been happening in 2019. We've had 20 episodes over the year. Uh, this is the 21st yeah. episode this year, and uh, we have had so far 697 minutes of content with 21 guests over the year. So pretty, pretty yeah. interesting stats. Yeah.
0: No, and it's a. Uh... It's amazing how uh, time flies forward. Definitely the most we've done in a single year, you know, by, by a good margin here.
1: And, and let's talk about, of the 697 minutes, which was your favorite minute? No, I won't <laughs> ask you that.
0: But, we'll but, get very detailed here.
1: Yeah, let's get very detailed. Yeah, but let's, let's talk about, I mean, you know, there's obviously, you know, with 21 separate guests, I'm sure we were talking about, you know, lots of different topics, but there's going to be some similar messages in there. So why don't we start with a question about what some of the recurring messages across the episodes were this year?
0: Well, there are definitely many different insights, you know, as we as we went through it. So, digging into some recurring things, definitely, you know, maybe I, I like to ask a lot of the guests how they got into security. And one sort of interesting, maybe observation, you know, is is maybe the lack of a theme here, which is you know that there are very different answers to that question. There are many different um, different paths to security. You know, a more recent episode we had Andy Ellis talk about how. Pretty much he got assigned to security uh, when he was in the uh, the military and, and he pretty much was told, you know, presumably asked but in practice not really, to do some work that's security and that led him to his first job at Akamai and uh, I don't think it's quite 20 but it's sort of shy of 20 years later he's the CISO there and doing an amazing job. At a massive company. We had uh, Tanya Janka talking about how she was organizing tech talks and had a lot of talks about security. And it was interesting. And then kind of got lured into it. Um, a lot of people coming from software engineering jobs. We have um, I think Kate at The Guardian and Sarah at Envision and. And various others talked about how they got into it. So that was interesting, like many different paths into security. I guess kind of related, when when I spoke to Tanya, she does a lot of great work trying to get more people to get into security and does these sort of mentoring Mondays on, on Twitter and just try to kind of you know in, increase or sort of push for more of that diversity in security and different paths. So that was kind of one really interesting observation. Back into sort of more themes... So I think you know there might be a little bit of a selection bias, but the whole notion of security and Dev collaboration is has been kind of a, a frequent topic. And I think one key observation is you know we talk a lot about how we need developers to embrace security, but really what came up a lot this year was the other side of the fence, which is how do security teams need to change to foster such collaboration? And you could see this in in past years as well, but I think it was really really strong this year. Uh, there was a lot of uh, like DevOps related references, so. Uh, Duncan, who runs security at Auth0, talked about that. talked about how his own team operates like a DevOps team, and kind of own what they build and, and operate it and run it. There was a lot of um, a, a more kind of a broad view from Justin Sumani, who talks a lot about the, sort of the the, the skill set that the different teams need to have. The security teams need to have maybe going from more of a sysadmin type background uh, into more of a software engineering, or maybe from from a project management to more software engineering. You see things around team structures. So a lot of teams report to CTO and engineering organizations and sometimes even comment how that's different. Uh, actually sneaking a little bit further back. and I think in 2018 we had an episode with uh, uh, the CSO of Slack, uh, and Jeff was commenting on how it was actually a big deal to sort of you know make them uh, be a part of the engineering organization. And this was echoed back in in various episodes today. So definitely a lot of uh, a lot of examples on how security teams have changed you know the the list goes on right Kate at the Guardian you know she definitely sort of does a lot of work you know building and writing software for the dev teams and maybe one of the best sort of teams to give an example for his segment you know and we had uh, Eric Ellett there talk about embedding I think I actually kind of uh, exposed some uh, some cover there it was just before he was rolling out an, an embed program uh, more officially but around how his team embeds itself into uh, into development teams to help them build software and you know uh, leaf there as well in the in the segment team talked about uh, walking a mile in a developer's code to do this so all of these really talk a lot about Empathy, you know, and around how the security teams need to structure and and change themselves to be able to collaborate better with Dev, and even that, like above and beyond their own structure and their theme, there was also a lot of conversation around how they should adopt this partnership mindset. Right, this definitely came up a lot in. Peter from Smartsheet talks about partnership a lot, you know, sort of a lot of those types of quotes, and talking about how working with the dev teams, they shouldn't be saying no, they should be talking about how do we get to a yes. And, you know, Mohan at Prudential was talking about this. So, definitely a very strong recurring theme is how the security teams themselves need to change to fit this collaboration.
1: And with this collaboration and this partnership between developers and security, obviously it's a two way street and both need to change. From a historical point of view, is it fair to say that developers, you know adopting more agile processes adopting devops processes would you say it would be potentially easier for them to take on security than it would be for security teams to change themselves because maybe more traditionally there haven't been as many changes in the org structure of a security team versus a development team
0: yeah i think the development teams the change they're sort of experiencing is very much around digital transformation and i guess that's also been a key theme here especially when you look to the enterprise so i think there are different almost like these two cohorts of of companies that that came on as guests this year and you know there's the cloud native you know more sort of born in a cloud Newer, less baggage type companies, you know, from from zero to Segment to to uh, SmartSheet, and then you have a lot of enterprises. So when you look at in the enterprise side, that's really where development teams are changing how they develop software and change their work structure under that mantle of digital transformation. And there, there was a lot about how do they approach security and how should that change. Um, we had. Um, we had some key episodes on on that topic, but we had Justin uh, Sumani, who who, if you've heard his episode, he's sort of ex of you know, Box and Yahoo and 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 Semantic and various. He's had very rich experience, and he talks. Um, he actually had this great quote there. He talked about uh, how security is is never going to be as agile as the lines of businesses, so you have to you have to think about how does a distributed or integrated security model would work, right? Because it's the only way to sort of handle the day to day, and so. You know that was like more of a comment on how the security teams need to change, but it's due to a change in how development is being done. And similarly, we had James Kaplan from McKinsey, and he actually wrote this great article that triggered the podcast episodes, talking about how I think called it like cybersecurity is the linchpin of digital transformation, and how that should modify how you approach security. How if you don't do that, then really your options are either you know slowing things down which nobody wants to do, shipping in secure software, which clearly is not kind of an ideal, or the third option, which you aspire to, which is embedding security in. So that's definitely a dev team change. And, and we got a bit of a taste of that from the Opposite side. You know, we had Brian at Liberty Mutual was, you know, really a great example of that, talking about he is on the dev side. And it talks about how he's basically ahead of the security team. So like they're embracing modern technology. And you know, they just know so much more about it than the security teams because they're they're leaving it. So sometimes they need to bring them along for the journey. And I think a little bit earlier in the journey was uh, Mohan from uh, from Prudential, and he talks about how they're building that program, how they're building that sort of dev psychology. Program, yeah, and I guess going back to Andy a little bit at Akamai, it's interesting. He talks about the intrinsic security thing has actually been built early. He almost didn't know better, you know, when he when he started because it was his first job, and he built security to be to be core and a part of the responsibility of the ops teams and of the dev teams. But the change that they're undergoing is more about making things more agile. So they're already doing well to have teams own. responsibility, Uh, but now doing that, as the dev teams become more agile and move faster, they do have to change how do they uh, deal with security internally. And his team, his security team, is helping them kind
1: of scale up. And when we see these changes in both security teams and development teams, where would you say the inertia exists? The greatest inertia exists because obviously people people naturally want to continue doing what they're doing yeah. uh, in in you know day to day day to day lives. And in all of our episodes, the guests from uh, that you know that we choose are obviously already doing security far far better than many other teams in, yeah. in, in organizations yep. that exist. Where would you say generally would be the inertia in in other organizations? Which some of the guests that that we're talking to uh, have already succeeded.
0: Probably the uh, the change that justifies a change, you know, or the is is really around DevOps, you know, and it's around indeed that you know you can call it digital transformation, you can talk you know, DevOps. But DevOps does two things. One is as DevOps gets embraced more and more in these companies, uh, then the needs to do something like you know things just change. You know, you have to adapt, you have to fix it. But the other thing is that DevOps gives us this model, and there were a ton of references to to how DevOps. Is a model throughout the show. You know, we had Sarah at Envision talk about how they actually call uh, their—they have a team called DevSecOps, which is more of like a cloud security, infraSec type team—and they actually call those people security SREs. There was uh, definitely references on the dev side on how, hey, just like how we operate it, you know, we also need to secure it. So probably the the momentum is comes from DevOps as well as the role model. So it both
1: gets us going and it and it shows us the way to it. And I guess you know we we've talked a lot about kind of maybe more from an appsec point of view. Uh, If if we think a little bit more about uh, from a container point of view, is this very similar when it comes to things like ownership and when it comes to the model that is required within an organization, or are we really looking at different stakeholders there?
0: Yeah, I think uh, if there's anything we can sort of say from these. Conversations uh, or from this episodes this year is that container security ownership is messy. It is very unclear. On one side, we we see, I'd say the more common pattern in you know, a guest, you know, we think about uh, a Stu Hurst from, from Just Eat, or you think about uh Duncan at auth Zero. You definitely see a lot of methodologies that are more VM-like, so they're thinking about containers as the evolution of the VM. You know, Simon Bennett from Bitnami talked a lot about sort of the the golden image and and how do we handle it. But that approach really runs a little bit into a into a wall when it comes to the fact that you know the Docker file sits in a repo and that patching a container requires running a build. So I think nobody really quite comfortable. It's been the most natural thing to put container security and just patching. This new breed of VMs in uh, in the cloud security and the team that previously patched the VMs. But it also seems pretty clear that it's not the destination. And today we're, we're in flux, we're in that twilight zone uh, today. So, yeah, that's definitely come
1: uh, sort of shown very brightly <laughs> uh, through the many conversations. Awesome. First of all, I must say actually the name dropping level of this podcast so far has, has been set to expert in this episode. Uh, but it does it's actually a oh, testament to the so caliber much. of the guests that we've yeah, absolutely. had absolutely and
0: and each of them is just has there's there's sound bites there's quotes there's these insights from I I enjoy like really for me this is uh, this is for my own benefit, my own sort of uh, <laughs> selfish interest. Yeah. I learn so much from every
1: one of these episodes. Excellent. So with the conversations that we've had with all of these podcast guests, let's take a, a step back and think maybe of the things that development teams or security teams are doing well um, and, and what they need to improve. So let's think about, you know, perhaps what people have shown to be doing well in 2019 and maybe want to improve going forward into 2020. Sure. So we definitely, there's definitely been, you know, a lot of a lot of improvements. And I've had,
0: like we're talking about 2019, but I sense a bunch of these things and how good practices are being done and how that deferred over the sort of three or so years uh, of the podcast, right? Nearly four years. So what are we doing well? Definitely, great emphasis on automation. You know, I think I think this you know really shown brightly you know throughout the episodes. You know, go from from Simon Bennett indeed you know talking about Vietnamese golden images to you know Tanya Janko was talking about security unit tests and how they're they're sort of fast and accurate. Uh, that also came up with a uh, Omer uh, from uh, Soluto earlier in the year talking not zero it's just there's been pretty much everybody's talking about how do you automate more. Uh, I liked uh, Peter's uh, phrasing Peter from Smartsheet talked about how automation gives you leverage from technology and just thinks about this as an element of scale so and it really came up in the notion of scale or speed. So emphasis on automation I think is appropriate. I think we're doing well. Nobody's really quite happy
1: at their level of automation, but the attention to automation is good and this is this is something i see day to day when i talk to customers it's it's automation and speed is absolutely key that you know when we're talking about pipelines it's not just about how can we add something into a pipeline without manual intervention but how can we do it in a way to keep developers happy by Keeping these pipelines to you know ten minutes, fifteen minutes, whatever you know something something super quick that doesn't doesn't you know require a half day or a day's turnaround in order to push something to cross to production. Yeah,
0: absolutely, and it's a and it's a change because a lot of security solutions don't necessarily have it, and I guess that's the other bit that I would say is improving is it's also a change in the skill set. So definitely have heard much more this year that people are hiring, that security teams are hiring into their teams with an emphasis on software engineering abilities you know with hiring coders hiring people that can program and a lot of it is comes back to that automation bit like some of that is empathy uh, but a lot of it is because they they see themselves as more sort of service providers as as building tools and they need to hire people who can build it so uh, you know definitely can clearly see the change in the hiring profile i, I love uh, you know justin had a lot of sort of great sound bites there you know in, in his insights but he talked about how Teams should move from governance via advisory to governance via product delivery. And I know you know Peter talked a lot about skills. Definitely, skills are evolving. I think we're doing that well, and it's still a path. And with that, you know, I think that skill set is again for building, but it's also for empathy. And I'd say the other thing that we're building an appreciation for is this importance of intrinsic security. It's almost this this acceptance that the only way to scale is to build security into the surroundings of developers. Um, and so, you know, various conversations about how you have to have to build security and integrate very elegantly into the tools that developers already use. How do you need to pull developers in? And have them be a part of evaluating security tools, and you know they need to be a core a core constituents. So otherwise, it doesn't it doesn't work. And that approach or that learning, you know, isn't just the learning on the security side that they should involve dev, but also dev learning how they do it. And, and again, kind of liberty mutual there with with Brian and that sort of digital transformation project that they're running is a good example. Uh, Jeff McCaffrey, who was at Microsoft at the time, talked about he, he was running their open source program and security. It wasn't security. Like that wasn't his job,
1: but definitely was a lot of his attention right as we built that and equity comes down to ownership as well right from a developer point of view the the approval or the committing to to, to using these kind of tools if the developer doesn't have the skin in the game of, of that initial uh, adoption then then they're never going to own it really yeah, yeah very much it's the it's sort of it takes to the tango
0: uh type approach like there's no you can't get. Collaboration when only one side wants to do it. So both parties have to come to the table. And I guess one thing that, as an industry, I guess we're doing a little bit better on this year, which I thought was very encouraging, is the approach of auditors and compliance people. So I heard far more positive attitudes this year to how auditors are engaging in conversation about newer practices that empower developers. There's a certain amount of risk taking there, you know, and an auditor looking to see if you're compliant for PCI for for a variety of others they need to accept that that is a good way or you know an acceptable way to address one risk or the other. And I, I hearken back to one of the early episodes with uh with Sean Gordon from New Relic, and he was kind of, you know, paving the path to being able to get sort of SOC2 certified, you know, when when you're enabling teams and you're not a draconian sort of naysayer and he had to educate a bunch of auditors. And I think I told him then that we uh that we all owe him a beer for uh <laughs> for that. And I think we're uh he should really be uh quite drunk by now. Uh just uh sort of seeing the change that uh, that happens, you know, like just one of the recent ones with uh, So Duncan and Auth0 talked a lot about how this is a healthy conversation with the auditors.
1: So those are things we're doing kind of well, I think, so far. So it sounds like we can go for a bear ourselves then. It sounds like we're in a pretty good
0: state ourselves. (laughs) Yeah, I think we still have a little bit of our work uh, cut out for us. There always is, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. So I think for the areas that, uh, that we need to improve, clearly, first of all, like all of these things that we mentioned right now are evolved, but they're not done, so we need to do those. I'd say, you know, one, you know, part good, part bad was the whole conversation about security champions program. It came up so much uh during the sessions, you know, it came up from trainer perspective with Jim Manico talking about security champions and how that's a, a key element, you know, Omer at uh, Saluto or Ashurian, you know, Ashurian as a as a whole have these security mavens program that he's a part of and you know, Tanya Janka, I think kind of semi started that way. Uh, so definitely a lot of conversation about champions and a lot of Fondness to it, but very little structure. Like as an industry, we don't really know what makes a working security champions program, and I think we have a long ways to go to to just sort of understand it. Even within a company, you know, the conversation with Omar at the beginning of the year. A lot of it comes down to individual initiative, and uh, and it's not that clear. How do you encourage? How do you motivate those champions? How do you empower them to do the work?
1: I absolutely love the work that uh, Ashurian did actually with the with the security mavens. I think it's really important by educating developers, and I think they they use their security team to educate their own developers as well. Somewhat, Indeed. and it's less for them and us kind of model. Right when it, as soon as you have the, such detailed security knowledge within the development team, um, I was talking to uh, Mark, one of the one of the folks at uh, Shirin as well and he was mentioning to me about how much uh, once they got that model in that that champion program in how much more the security and developers talked uh, not just through the security maven to the security team but just in general across teams the interaction uh, was far greater yeah yeah I think they are great
0: and everybody acknowledges that they're a great
1: path to
0: better connect the two teams, the sort of the development side and security side, and also to scale the security teams because they're not full-time security people, but there are people that carry a partial security responsibility, but there are many more of them than there are in dev. But I, I do think that nobody really has a winning formula nobody really has a, a model that should be replicated or a structure. So I think we should kind of go forward and just like evolve that as an industry.
1: And why do you think that is? Because it seems like, you know, Okay, it it may differ a little bit from from company to company and team to team, but the idea of pulling uh, knowledge and information from security teams into development teams, it seems... I don't want to say maybe a little bit ignorantly that it's a simple thing to do, but it's um, the you know the idea of having security champions in 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 development teams. Why is that not something that can be easily uh, replicated?
0: Yeah, I think a lot of it is is really around expectations of what is to be accomplished and what's the division of ownership. So you see this with you know even with that sort of Maven's program or you know I had conversations with uh, Autodesk or you know outside the podcast around their security champions program and. Uh, you know, everybody looking to roll it out. It's not entirely clear they they know they want the security champions to amplify. but if it's not entirely clear what the security champion does, then it's hard for the development teams around to know when to approach that person, and it's hard for for the security teams to sort of know what to expect that person to have been done. It's hard for that person's management to know how much time to allocate to them. So it really what it ends up being is it ends up being, which is very useful, a community. So security champions collaborate with one another and they learn. It ends up being a sensor. So you know a person inside a dev team hears more about what's happening in that dev team. And when there's a security related, like you know, there's a consideration about security, they raise that flag. So so that's valuable as well. Uh, And it ends up being like an empathy vehicle because if there's a, a healthier conversation between the security team and the slightly smaller cohort of champions, then they're able to collaborate more effectively. But it's just hard to know how, Like, so it creates almost more of a community, but it doesn't create a program. You know, it's not clear that you can say, well, the security champion will do security reviews. It's not clear that the security champion would get involved in security tooling. And some of them do, like Omar at Saluto does a ton of, of actual concrete build security into the pipeline work. But he's not the norm. It's more because he is very passionate and takes initiative versus uh having kind of the program structure it. So I think the fact we're embracing it is a positive thing, and everybody's, you know, like I've really heard no negativity around it. Uh, but the notion of how How do you replicate it? Not everybody can be a leader. We need a model as an industry that people can can replicate, and I think that has not
1: yet been created. And, and is this problem somewhat compounded when we think about container security, whereby the ownership of that sometimes exists in various different teams, depending on which org or company you're talking to at the time?
0: Yeah, yeah. And container security is indeed, you know, as we referenced before, definitely an area for improvement around you know that type of ownership. And it just that one introduces another couple of teams to the mix, which is uh, the the DevOps teams, who oftentimes security kind of falls not necessarily to the writers of the software, but to the maintainers of the infrastructure. And sometimes there's a a dedicated cloud security or infrastructure security or various names for this team. And definitely it's another sort of aspect of security that that kicks in. it's really like I would definitely say that you know if security champions is one container security ownership is is another manifestation of ownership challenges and definitely another area to improve and then maybe underlying all of those one of the areas that I would most love to see us improve is measuring security it actually didn't come up as much in the podcast episodes because nobody really had like great insights to share almost uh, on it I would very often in the sort of the quick prep that we do ahead of episodes ask people about measuring security and it's just so clear that you know measuring security is a beast and nobody really feels like they they've tamed it you know security is this invisible thing you know it doesn't have a natural feedback cycle and it doesn't hurt until it hurts really bad and measuring security ends up measuring activities measuring what are not optimal leading indicators to how secure you are like you know putting an SLA into the like knowing how many vulnerabilities do you have or putting an SLA to how quickly you remediate them or just assessing whether security controls are in place so you're you're measuring things that are very much to the side nobody's really convinced that they are the best measure of how secure they are so I get the sense that we're going to get to the end of 2020, and we're not actually going to have a full-on solution to how do we measure security. But if there was really one thing we can do to truly move the needle, is to figure out how do we measure security, because you can't optimize what you can't measure, right? You know, we have Mm -hmm. to uh, get that barometer. So that's definitely an area
1: that that we need some serious improvement on. And let's continue with the thoughts of what's going to happen in 2020. Let's talk about. Uh, with the guests that you talk to throughout the episodes, what are their biggest, what are their specific challenges that they're going to have in security uh, in their organizations? I think one very obvious
0: one is just one of scale. So a lot of references to security hygiene at scale. You know, as we move to the world of cloud. You know, anywhere from, you know, talking about um, uh, Jeff McAfford at Microsoft, talking about Microsoft scale and how they had to build things in house just to be able to track which libraries and which components they're using, given the scale of Microsoft, uh, and then adapt how do they scale handling vulnerabilities of open source components as part of, uh, of, of the sort of the development process within Microsoft, and how hard that problem is to do it, at the volume of work they do. You know, Jason Chan described the same problem, but they tackled it in a much more decentralized way, of more empowering developers to do it, and building tools to help those developers know what they're doing. Uh, but really, security hygiene at scale—you know, doing basic things like indeed keeping your dependencies, you know, patched and 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 vulnerability free—which isn't. You know, you can do it very easily for one library. You can do it pretty easily for ten libraries. Doing it for ten thousand libraries gets pretty darn hard. That's definitely the the recurring theme. And we've seen also like we had uh, Liran on the show talking about the state of open source security, and and he he shared some alarming stats about that. Talking about um. 88% increase in app library vulnerabilities. So we're finding more security issues, and we're not really addressing them, right? We had the, the top 10 Docker images that have a bunch of dependencies in them. The top 10 are having at least 30 vulnerabilities each. And we're talking about how also the scene itself is getting increasingly complex. It's not about the 10 libraries that you pulled into your app. It's really the vast majority is sort of four and five vulnerabilities that get discovered is in an indirect. Uh, dependencies, you know, not in the ten libraries you used, but rather in the five hundred libraries that they
1: in turn uh, pulled in. And it was seventy-eight percent, in fact, in indirect libraries. And did these kind of numbers, did they shock you? Did they surprise you, or were they really a kind of reaffirmation of what you already believed? Well, I think I don't think this is news. I think it's just you know we're seeing it happen,
0: you know, in uh, in in scale. So cloud technology and open source and a variety of these technology adoptions and containers are now starting to get rolled out. At scale. So we're now experiencing the explosion. There's an order of magnitude more containers uh, than, than there were VMs, right? That in turn was an order of magnitude more than physical machines. Uh, so More volume implies kind of more risk. And it's not really a terribly new problem. It's just a new manifestation when we think about, you know, wrangling servers and how patching your servers is a really big problem, even when these were like data center machines. Uh, And so there's definitely um, just just another order of magnitude. So it doesn't really surprise me. Um, It also manifests in the cloud security side. So you definitely see, you know, Duncan and Dot Zero talked about how they have 150 accounts I think uh Stuart just talked about about a hundred AWS accounts and it's not natural it's not obvious for you to think that a company would have more than one AWS account right or two or three Why do they have a hundred but it's really that empowerment you know the uh different teams that can operate and can run at a fast pace and agility and not ask for permissions implies you get fragmentation now the challenge really the name of the game is around how do you how do you help embrace that agility and that speed without Breaking, you know, and you had you have like Netflix uh, uh, launched a Repo Kid as a tool. You know, you empower the teams over there. Uh, th- there's a whole set of tools and technologies and approaches that happen, but some people revert into that centralized. Can I still contain that agility? Well, versus others that that are trying to to sort of more embrace the chaos uh, and just empower the teams to run it. I don't see that problem diminishing in 2020. I think that continues to be. Everybody mentions those as one of their biggest challenge. I think the second big challenge, which is very related, you know, I was referring to like centralized versus uh, decentralized, is cultural change, especially for for companies that that move it. Uh, look, embracing good tech or new tech is hard enough. You know, in terms of like the time that is needed, but replacing people's attitudes and sometimes. People themselves, you know, sort of people's skill set is really, really hard. So uh, this definitely came up a lot, especially when we touched on the enterprise. I mentioned some of this before, but you know, some of this is indeed in that sort of skill set change. You know, one slightly ominous prediction, if you will, uh, was in uh, Justin Somani saying that he thinks about a third, maybe half of security team staff will rotate. I don't think he gave like an exact time frame there, but you know, when you think about that. It, you know that's that's a fairly alarming stat for many security people, right? And a lot of it is that shift into it's it's a result of the culture change. It's a result of what is the role of the security team, you know, within uh, within the company, and therefore what are the skills that you need within the security team? Uh, again, we heard kind of you know you you see the magnitude of the program that Mohan at Prudential is trying to roll out, and how it touches every different aspect of the organization. And you also see this, like, you know, James from uh, McKinsey was talking, Like, and, and he, he really gives a deep kind of overview of how companies should be embracing that change and how do they justify it to the business because these are expensive propositions. But really, you know, alongside technologically, it's really about security hygiene at scale. But right alongside it is this culture shift, this sort of change. And we have great role models in the modern companies in these like, Cloud native companies in envision, in in segment, in one medical, but for enterprises, it's still very much a a work in progress. So I'd say those are kind of the primary, like this uh, uh, security hygiene at scale on one side and the kind of the culture change plus that sort of skill set shift are probably the biggest challenges that the security industry and security teams face in 2020.
1: So, with so many amazing guests that we've had on the Secure Developer um, over the last year, and in fact, as you mentioned, the last few, in terms of what uh, what you've learned from our guests, uh, what would you say the most important things are, and maybe some of the things that you've sometimes thought, well, maybe we can do that in our org as well as uh, mm-hmm. as well as what others can, can consider making changes in their own organizations. Yeah, there, there were oh so many episodes that they felt like you know left to my
0: own devices. I can uh, I can go on for uh, for an hour or two more. So my probably you know sort of two biggest insights are related and they're really around that sort of change in the scope of the application and how it relates to cloud so you know maybe maybe thinking first about that cloud piece a lot of conversations around the difference between appsec or sometimes it's referred to as product security and cloud security and this relates to that container security uh, ownership Mess, but really, it's around this cloud as a whole. And you know, I asked uh, Stu, for instance, in uh, in in a recent episode. You know, asked him, okay, like, what is the difference, or like, why are containers not owned by cloud security, which is kind of his his neck of the woods, versus not product security are they not there? And he was saying, well, you know, I think it's the start of a journey, and you know, they probably should, you know, eventually uh, land over there. But today, they work in cloud sec and they're different. You know, I asked Sarah at Envision around. I uh, you know they have this uh, this sort of great model where the AppSec teams are aligned to Dev teams and they collaborate really well over there. But they have a separate team they call DevSecOps and they refer to people there as security SREs. And asked her, well, like, how are those different than you know, like, do they work with Dev as well? And I says, well, that yeah, they do work in Dev. And it sounds like there's a lot of like well-minded. Individuals in these companies, you know, Auth0 is another example. So it works, but I feel like that delineation surprised me a little bit. I, th- I guess I came at it from a slightly more dev minded view, and I thought like a lot of these aspects of cloud, of uh, the application of containers, you know, they're just an evolution of the app. And therefore, clearly they should be a part of AppSec or definitely a part of ProductSec, if that's how you define it. But in many ways, these cloud security bits are an evolution of infrastructure security, There are more an evolution of maybe the sysadmins and what you've done to sort of patch your servers indeed. And so that's sort of one aspect that I've learned is just that there's a very interesting line and I think there's more to explore over there between cloud security and its various names and AppSec and where should they stay different and where should they be the same. But I definitely have learned that that is not that given. And then sort of related to that is maybe this growing realization which has never been said explicitly. About the growing scope of the application, and how, really, to an extent, it's because when we say app, we don't always mean the same thing, and that the application has has really changed in nature. And sometimes you think about app and you think about code and libraries. but oftentimes in a modern world, you think about an app, you think about, you know, so much more, you know, about the containers, about the network layer, about so many things. and and so definitely, you know, like I like, I think it was Jason at Netflix, Jason Chan, who talked about how there's really like this line between infrastructure and the network kind of goes away with cloud because now it's the infrastructure, the network is just embedded in. And I think there's basically another line, another layer there that is into the app itself, right? The line between the infrastructure and the app does that go away? So I think that's that's probably like my my most meta perspective. And I think on on sort of a, a practical how should you approach security, I loved some of the guidance that I got around focusing on the threats. I was surprised, and I think in hindsight surprised for the better, just the frequency that even when we talk about developers and security, the answer oftentimes reverted or went back to talking about uh, threat models. I know Peter at Smartsheet talked about how threat models create sometimes this Pavlovian response from teams and, and therefore he sometimes sort of avoids the uh, the term, but really you can call it security design review, it's still a threat model. Really what you want to do, uh, and, and that was the, the, the recurring theme, is you want to understand what are the attackers doing so that you can tune your activities uh, versus over-investing in an area that doesn't matter and staying exposed on, on an area that does. So that element and how embedding that into your developer security collaboration and maybe tying back to that security hygiene at scale,
1: how important a role it plays there, was definitely definitely great insight for me. Mm -hmm. And and from a listener point of view, I guess there's going to be a lot of people out there working in security teams, working in developer teams, you know, love all the kind of high level discussion, but when it comes to the actual day-to-day roles, what can they take away, what actionable things can they do to actually start implementing some of these ideas? Yeah, for sure. I I think there were like a ton of concrete tips, you
0: know, just very explicit, like do this, don't do that type elements. I also like to sort of ask that question at the end of every episode, you know, ask people, you know, what's your one pet peeve or one piece of advice. And I love how different uh, different guests take it in very different directions. So some key ones that I that I liked uh, definitely a lot. uh, Great practices around celebrating success and how that's key for developer adoption. Just sort of basic human properties is you have to. You can not just reprimand people for doing something wrong. You also have to celebrate it when they do it right. This came up throughout the years, but um, I think some really good tips. You know, we had a uh, Siren Hoffander talking about you know kind of making cakes for nothing. You know, for for basically for nothing happening. You know, just sort of uh, making those. Or or you know, she's definitely sort of big on the uh, on the positive reinforcement. Zach at uh, One Medical, which I think I'm actually. Slipping a little bit into uh, into the previous year, talked about you know hoodie-driven security and how they give those. That came up earlier as well with um, t-shirts, even all the way back to Optimizer, which I think might be my first episode uh, on the show. Like the the segment team gives stickers at the end of uh, like these unique stickers that you only get if you've passed security training. So definitely positive security, celebrating people that do it well, anywhere from stickers and hoodies to to just. You know, giving exposure and recognition to someone who does something well that was a great tip. It's the swag-driven development model. It is. Oh, it works. Like it, you know, yeah. we're all just humans. <laughs> there was a lot of focus on scaling security basics before you move on to the next sort of shiny thing. So I referred to that a little bit before about security hygiene at scale. But I think for a concrete tip is like you know, put aside the advanced persistent threat and you know, sort of the funky new attack vector, and just you know, invest in in automation and in how do you scale activities. And there were some concrete things like you know but try to reuse tools from the ops side of the fence to to apply them to security. Make sure that security is embedded elegantly into your development environment so you're not asking developers to log on to yet another portal and work over there. Org-wise, concrete uh, advice about aligning security teams to dev teams. I most liked Envision's model where they literally take, like you think a lot of companies do these um, finance teams or HR teams have this HR partner to these different business units. So Envision embraced something similar for security and their AppSec teams are basically aligned. Every AppSec engineer has a set of development teams that they support, uh, which I really liked. The team still works as a team, but their primary affinity almost is into these uh, dev teams that they work and therefore they can embed, they can be a part of that. And then I guess last is um, is something that I've totally embedded into my vocabulary is this notion of the paved road. So this I think the first time I heard it was from Jason Chan at Netflix, but it definitely came up more later on. And this is the idea that one way to manage to balance agility of the different teams with uh, some consistency and, and methodology across the company is to create a paved road to say here's a set of practices, tools. That we, the security team, support, and we make it super easy for you to use that paved road. Just stay on the paved road, and life is going to be easier. If you want to go off road, you know, and you want to go on the dirt, uh, then you can, but you know, it's going to be harder, right? You know, you need to take on a bit more responsibility. You need to do more of the work yourself uh, because we haven't paved it for you. Uh, so I really, really liked that approach, and I think that's a concrete approach that then people can do is even just sort of sit down and define what is the paved road. Uh, as opposed to just this, like nihilist, you know, you can do anything, you know. There, there are no rules. We'll just match you, development team, uh, ver, or the draconian, you know, no, you do it our way or the highway, you know, type approach. I thought it was a really good middle.
1: Great, and th- and let's uh, look forward again to 2020, and uh, perhaps offer. The, the classic dinner guest you know your ideal dinner guest style question for for a meal who would you be your ideal guests and perhaps topics of some of your 2020 episodes going forward
0: it's hard to point to to a specific guest i have a i think a great Topic that I have in mind, I think a guest is, uh, you know, there are many people I want to talk to, <laughs> and I'm fortunate enough that there are actually a few of those already scheduled. From a topic perspective, the one that interests me the most is indeed this notion of like unraveling cloud security. You know, it's just it feels so messy. Where on one hand, it's a very clear and immediate need to wrangle these, you know, hundred plus AWS accounts. To we see all the security breaches that happen by super capable security teams because you know they missed some file you know one file and so definitely super important but i feel like it's not clear where it's headed it's not clear whether first of all like terminology is a mess you know you talk about secops teams and you see you know on one hand you see the same name secops is a team that handles kind of detection and response, you know, in Just Eat in kind of Stu Hurst's world, and in Auth0, that very same name is actually more of an SRE, more of an engineering team that builds platform, and there's a separate detection and response team, right? Or you know, Envision that same team is called DevSecOps, and you know, Smart calls it infrastructure security. So, are these things the same? Are they different? Where should they be headed? So, you know, this whole aspect of the infrastructure that moves into the scope of the app. What is the future of securing this sort of app led infrastructure?
1: And do you think they will converge to a common home across the different companies? Or do you think it's okay for them to to, to just exist in different parts of the organization based yeah, on the I, I mean, I think the short answer is I don't know, but I I, I feel
0: like there is going to be an aspect of what is currently cloud sec that needs to move into app sec because it becomes such an intrinsic part of the application that how you deal with it. Once again, like AppSec is a, is a supporting organization for dev. They do a lot of responsibility themselves, but they can only scale through development. And DevOps is a supporting organization for dev, once again. So the same notion, they build a bunch of stuff themselves, and they do a lot of the work. But to scale, they need to get the dev teams to sort of build operable software. And so cloud security is a little bit weird because it's a supporting organization to two supporting organizations almost, right? Like, you know, they help DevOps on one side, they help AppSec on the other. And then they kind of help dev as well. And it's not entirely clear where that's headed. And of course, they have their own responsibilities and direct ownership. That's more the infra security side. So I feel just the definition of it needs to shift. And there are portions of it that needs to move to AppSec and become just a part of the product. Portion of it that needs to be embedded into your APM platforms, into your infrastructure monitoring platforms, and actually move to DevOps. And we see a lot of this. We see a lot of uh, uh, platform teams kind of owning security aspects. You know, definitely we see it in, in sort of Snakes' world. And then there's probably still a missing piece there. You know, which is which is indeed wrangling the the infrastructure security, what used to be the data center security or the server security. And I don't know what that looks like. Does that just get embedded into DevOps? Does it live long term? So yeah, I don't know. Selfishly, one of the reasons I want this topic to be uh, dug into is because I want to end
1: 2020 with a with a more crisp answer. (laughs) Excellent. And Guy, to finish off, one of the uh, one of the questions I'm going to spring this on you now. One of the questions that you said you you ask on pretty much every guest at the end of uh, every episode is what your you know pet peeve uh, would be or what advice you would give to your listeners. So I ask you, Guy Pajani, to to hear. Given that we've got you as our captive guest now, what is your one pet peeve or piece of advice that you would give to listeners? I think my primary piece of advice would
0: be to focus on the future, not the past. I think all too often when you look at a security problem or security solutions people judge it based on current reality and what they have previously seen versus taking a moment and say where do i want to be in 2 years time what do i think the world would look like in 2 years time and and then you know the security solution you implement needs to or whether it's like org hires or it's a tool that you purchase or it's a methodology or process that you're sort of doing in your organization you know, no matter what it is, clearly it needs to serve today's needs. Otherwise, it's no good. But it needs to be a solution that helps you get to that destination, versus one that holds you back. Otherwise, security is always going to be behind. The only way to get ahead is to implement solutions that think about where is it that you're headed. And oftentimes, your company will have a path. You know, you just need to know it. You know, what is the path? What is the technology landscape? you can figure out you can take your best guess about what's the market kind of landscape and you know the adversary landscape and just make that your first question and then present and only then past if you don't do that then every year you're going to need to
1: reorg and rehire and you know retool uh, everything you do Wonderful guy! It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I guess being, you know, being invited onto this podcast and, and asking you some uh, some wonderful questions. So, uh, so thank you very much. Uh, thanks, Simon, for being a great uh, interviewer here. And uh, we'll see. Maybe I'll, I'll pull you
0: in to sort of help. Uh, oh no, no, not again. <laughs> a and and thanks everybody for tuning in into it. I think this is a this is a good time to talk a little bit about, you know, more sort of structural changes that we're doing it. We had an, an amazing year here kind of in the in the Secure Developer Podcast. We've had more episodes than ever, really. And we pulled in if you've Noticed, kind of outside. We've pulled in over the course of 2019. Uh, we've pulled in the security developer into a part of my DevSecOps as a broader community. And what we're going to do in 2020 is move it off where the podcast is hosted today, which is HeavyBit, uh, and onto the my DevSecOps. Platform. So, Heavybit, which you've probably heard many times at the sort of the uh, the opening to this podcast, is is a great program that Snyk is a part of that really helps kind of developer tools build up and shine and have great assets in them. And they've graciously been hosting and helping us kind of make this podcast happen uh, over the past few years. And we're still very involved, very engaged with them as we engage in more and more community activity and just sort of broaden the scope of security education and collaboration we foster here under My DevSecOps. We felt like the right home for this to be, you know, right alongside those. And so you can expect the podcast to move to My DevSecOps. We're also relating the podcast to a lot of the activities we're doing online and in DevSecon, which is a great conference, uh, that we also kind of help, you know, accelerate and amplify uh, here at Snake. And What we're going to do is we actually recorded some DevSecCon episodes, some special episodes that maybe maybe use some of the great content that we have on stage at DevSecCon, as well as some great conversations we've had with with speakers from that event. So you can expect that coming in 2020, Uh, and then in general, you know, just sort of have kind of cadence or sort of keep up the cadence. So Sam has joined us. Uh, You don't uh, you don't know her, but behind the scenes, you know, Sam Hepburn has been driving a lot of this kind of growth in, uh, in cadence and in amplifying and in quality of content over here. So thanks, Sam, for, uh, for being a part of it. Uh, and with her help and the community team here, uh, we will build up uh, that, you know keep up the cadence, have, have an episode at least every two weeks, so by the end of 2020 we actually have even more episodes than the records that we've broken this year. So that's it, that's a, a wrap for 2019. Hope you uh, enjoy the show. Thanks everybody for tuning in to this episode and uh, for the shows this year. Uh, I hope you have a great break and I hope to see you both in the new year and in the next episodes. That's all we have time for today. If you'd like to come on as a guest on this show or get involved in this community, find us at thesecuredeveloper.com or on Twitter at thesecuredev. Visit heavybit.com to find additional episodes, full transcriptions and other great podcasts. See you next time.